This time on Poll Hub, we've got some news for Democrats and Republicans from our brand new NPR PBS NewsHour poll. We're going to dig into the data to see whether it's good news or bad news for each party as we head inexorably towards the 2022 midterms. Then, with more states legalizing weed every year, we're looking at whether public opinion is changing with the laws, the laws are changing with public opinion, and if federal law is lagging. Finally, are you Team Snoopy or Team Garfield? Our fun fact uh, this week has us heading back to the cats and the dogs, plus some other creatures this time around. And we've got a special guest for the fun fact. So stick around. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I'm Lee Maringoff inexorably wow you're brave jay i'm very i'm very very impressed uh i was actually a little tense even trying to uh to uh joke about that with you but uh we have a lot of uh interesting topics today to talk about uh the 2022 congressional midterm elections are a little more than six months away and uh the gop uh seems to uh, already be taking some victory laps and uh we actually did a national poll with our uh, national poll partners uh NPR and the PBS NewsHour, and we did find some uh, interesting, some interesting results and reasons for the, perhaps their glee. Um, in the congressional generic question that we asked, which is a national question uh, of Americans, but asking them whether they're more likely to vote for the Republican or Democratic candidate for Congress in their district, the Republicans are at 47%, up three points from the Democrats, 44%. Uh, is that uh, big news? And uh, is that why the, um, the GOP thinks that there is going to be a tsunami this fall. Uh, Barb, that's one big reason, uh, because the understanding and the past patterns are not only do the Democrats have to be uh, even with the Republicans on that generic question, but in order to do well, they actually have to be ahead substantially, uh, like five points or something like that, even to break even uh, because of the way districts are drawn around the country. So if the Republicans are even with the Democrats or even ahead of the Democrats on this question, that is a big, big red flag uh, for the Democrats uh, moving forward. Um, I would also say that history is against the side of the, uh, the Democrats in this, in that uh, traditionally 22 seats are lost by the president's party during the president's first midterm election. And you can go no further than uh, back then, uh, Donald Trump in 2018 or Barack Obama with the Tea Party in 2010 um, to see, uh, you know, just what those problems can be for presidents when uh, when they get shellacked. Uh, so, yeah, um, just on this point alone, the Democratic chances in the House are somewhat shaky by all estimates in the Senate, which is 50-50. Uh, clearly, the Democrats and Republicans uh, picking up one for anybody uh, means picking up a whole lot in terms of the control of the uh, of that chamber. Yeah, but there was other bad news uh, in this poll for for Democrats too, because we didn't just ask the overall question. Uh, we we dug down into some of the top issues that Americans are concerned about, and they didn't uh, come out so well on those either. 
No, and uh, when we look at who's better able to handle issues, uh, the Republicans do better on the issues that seem to count the most. So when it comes to the economy and inflation, uh, national security, uh, the growing issue of crime, um, and the ongoing issue of gun policy, which is not a winner electorally for them necessarily, uh, but the Republicans do better on those issues, uh, and they are more likely to also support the base of the party on that. Democrats do better on uh, LGBTQ rights, climate change, abortion, voting rights, uh, education, and the coronavirus, things that obviously are really important uh, going forward for the nation, but not as important right now as that big inflation economy issue, which is out there. Lee, you mentioned uh, the, the, the base and the Democrats actually seem to have a problem with that. Uh, Jay, what are your observations on this? One question I have is, is uh, how much this predicts what happens in November. And, and Lee, you talk about the history of this, and, and I think it's all fair. Have we changed in some way, though, um, as a country, and especially the media cycle, the political cycles and all of that, where this isn't necessarily uh, terrible news, or is it actually worse news than it seems? And, and what I mean by that is, um, are, are the, is the enthusiasm level among Democrats so down that this may be understating how bad things are for them? But uh, that goes both ways. And I think it's probably, I'll take the middle path on that and say that, you know, yes, things change so rapidly right now. Uh, we never thought we'd be talking about anything other than President Trump's impeachment uh, during the election, uh, presidential election, or, you know, who knew that coronavirus was going to show up? And how about Ukraine right now as sort of like a major, you know, suddenly appearing issue, uh, which may or may not become more of an issue. So, yeah, it's absolutely true to say that we don't know exactly what's going to be going on uh, in October when people are making their choices. These numbers are not the numbers, though, that Democrats want to take to the polls in November. So if you have uh, numbers in Congress like this and uh, President Biden's approval rating at 41, which is what this poll also found, um, those are not winning numbers to take to the polls. Whether they are the numbers in October and November is another question. And I think one of the things has to do with what happens between now and then. Yeah. So, for example, what happens if uh, the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade? Does that turn Democrats, does that light a fire under them on an issue that actually hasn't been an electoral issue? For as passionate as people are about it, abortion, like gun rights, has actually never really driven you know, elections uh, in any significant way that we've seen, unlike the economy, for instance. But does that change things? Look, absolutely. You know, this is a, this isn't a crystal ball. We're not trying to suggest that this is a done deal. Although I think the GOP is uh, when they talk about uh, their GOP tsunami that they're anticipating. And of course, I think there's a there's a great deal of impact on uh, or potential impact on what can happen uh, should the Supreme Court overturn uh, Roe v. Wade or as they're likely to do send it send it back to the states, which in essence is the, is the same thing. But in any case, the Democrats 
have to hone a message to do that. I mean, I, I think this should be a wake up call for Democrats and the Democratic Party. I mean, this, these weren't these weren't small numbers. I mean, if you if you look at something like national security, the economy, inflation, gun policy, crime, these are all very significant issues, which People, not many people have confidence, uh, including many Democrats, don't have confidence in their party to move the country forward on these issues. And I, I think that's a big deal. Yes, uh, the, the issues of LGBTQ rights, uh, climate change, abortion, voting rights, uh, education, coronavirus, uh, those all are questions and issues that can come to the fore. But right now, I mean, that's, that's really tough to fly in the face of. So um, I agree the agenda can change, but I think this is uh, something that uh, should really concern uh, Democrats uh, across the country. Uh, going Just going the other way is that the Democrats are right now taking it on the chin in the so-called culture war, uh, which has to do with, you know, banning books and, and things like that. Um, and I think this is also creating somewhat of a wake-up effect. And also, let's not overlook Donald Trump in all this and uh, the fact that, you know, he's out there pushing candidates uh, in the primaries, uh, who may not be as acceptable for the general electorate, uh, depending on who ends up getting the nomination of the Republican Party. They've had problems in 2010 when they had too many extreme candidates. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't 2010. It was the, uh, the year of the Delaware. Yeah, it was 2010. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's 2010. It's actually a few years. It, 2008, 2006 even, it, there was a couple of those. Yeah. Extreme candidates, and that ended up costing them the majority in the Senate. I think the biggest, the biggest uh, red blinking red light here for Democrats is the economy because it's the thing that changes the least over time. We were just talking about how, you know, an abortion decision could change things, or you know, Ukraine going one way or another could change things. Um, there's all kinds of things that can happen that can change things very quickly. The economy doesn't change quickly. The economy is strong in many ways. But on the inflation front, inflation is not going to be cut in half, you know, in three months or four or five months. That's not how inflation generally works. And so I think that's the big blinking red light here is that the Americans perceive the GOP to be better equipped to handle the economy and inflation, 42 percent, 41 percent. It's not, you know, a majority, but it is still a plurality. And I think that's the biggest concern for them or should be the biggest concern for Democrats. No, to your point, Barbara. Yeah. To, to what I guess the summary on, on this point is that the Democrats, starting with the White House, are going to have to show themselves a little more nimble in terms of focusing on different issues and claiming success where success has existed. Um, the Republicans have to be careful about, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory by nominating bad folks. And then we'll see ultimately what the agenda becomes and what's on people's minds in October. Uh, to see what that motivation really is, uh, because that is such a big deal uh, for the midterm elections, for sure. One issue that hasn't been much of a, a national issue, um, but it has been at a state level, is the legalization of marijuana, which, you know, 20 years ago was a pipe dream, so to speak, uh, of a lot of folks. And now is, is the reality in 18 states, 19 if you include D.C., 20 if you include Guam, Casey, thanks for catching that. Um, and uh, New Jersey was the most recent. Uh, just last week, New Jersey uh, started the legal sale of uh, uh, for recreational use. There's actually more states than we're talking about here that have legalized it for medicinal use. Um, a couple of numbers. 
according to Gallup in November of 2021, 68% of Americans now support of marijuana. It's the highest percentage that they've recorded in the past five decades of asking this question. The majority of adults in all major subgroups, gender, age, income, education, are in support. The only difference is political ideology uh, and religion where Republicans and more religious people are fairly evenly split on the issue. So uh, have we reached kind of a tipping point here, do you think, on, on Americans' attitudes towards marijuana, where the legalization in states is actually pretty much consistent with where Americans are? Oh, I, I think so. Um, in fact, we could add Pew Research uh, to uh, the list of uh, um, polling organizations that have done polls on this, as, as have we. But they point to 91% of Americans saying that marijuana should be legal for medical reasons. And six in 10 uh, also believe that it should be uh, legal for uh, recreational use. And even though you mention, uh, you know, two groups, both uh, Republicans and uh, people who tend to um, uh, practice their religion uh, more frequently, they divide. Uh, it's not like, you know, you have, a, you know, the, a, a complete sea change um, uh, where, you know, 70% of those groups uh, think uh, that things should not be legal. Um, it used, you have them dividing pretty much, uh, you know, pretty close to 50-50. So I think there has really been a dramatic change um, in, in attitudes. And the federal government probably in this case is, is lagging behind. But then if you think, you know, of the constituencies, particularly that, you know, uh, Congress, congressional representatives need to appeal to, to stay in office, uh, you can perhaps understand why we have this, uh, this gridlock at the, at the federal level. Yeah, Lee, give us a little political science lesson here, because this is a case where American public opinion and the states are moving in one direction. A, a bill has passed the House a couple of times to change federal law to decriminalize uh, marijuana, but it hasn't passed in the Senate. It's not going to pass in the Senate this year. You need 10 GOP votes. Why is that, that something that's popular and that states are doing just doesn't seem to be possible to pass at a federal level? Well, I mean, I think first of all, it's not the it's not the only time this has happened, uh, but we're looking at a case where individual states may reflect a an attitude that is much even stronger than some other states, so that their state legislatures move on the question. We saw that initially with same sex marriage, uh, where uh, certain states that would be considered more liberal took the lead on that. Um, and now it's struggling in states that are probably not quite as liberal. Um, and I'm just wondering whether that's what we're seeing now also with the legalization of marijuana, that um, that the more liberal states um, are the ones that, you know, socially and culturally that are, are moving forward with this. Federal level is going to, you know, it's going to drag on this. No, we're, we're definitely having, <laughs> this is a pipe dream and a drag. We're having a rough interview. All hits all the time. <laughs> and I don't know what to say after that, other than the Senate um, definitely seems to um, not be dragging uh, on this issue, but they are in essence. So uh, yeah, 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 they're, they're definitely uh, not moving forward. Um, and you would need, as you say, Jay, 10, 10 um, Republicans, uh, at least assuming you get all the Democrats in the current Senate. 
Um, will this be a voting issue nationally um, next November? I doubt it because people who want to move ahead on this are finding a way to move ahead on this. Um, and the federal government is not the one that is being looked at like it is maybe for gun control, for example. It does seem like the one thing that would change this is if uh, a president came in and directed uh, the, D, uh, the, the Drug Enforcement Administration or the Justice Department to crack down because it's federally illegal. You know, it, states are in violation of federal law by permitting this. This is something that, you know, it seems like should a, an administration come in and crack down, it would be like same-sex marriage, something that would end up at the Supreme Court. Is that, you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, whether in this time of cultural clash, whether there is a potential for reaction or uh, to this more progressive movement uh, around the states and whether right now in five years or maybe sooner we're going to be talking about this in the same way that the same-sex marriage, for example, conflicts have, have now occupied uh, the political agenda in a lot of places. And then ultimately the Supreme Court may be sitting on this and that gets back to our earlier discussion. Just what is the composition of the Supreme Court going to be going forward? And does that matter directly to people like when they're going to be voting for the midterm elections, for example, when who controls the majority of the Senate in the next um, half of the Biden term is, becomes really, really important. This issue could end up there. Um, I don't think it has gotten to that point yet where the reaction is so strong that it's going to create a major movement but uh, uh, in opposition. But I think that this is um, this is something that could happen down the road, despite the strong numbers right now. Well, I think even though, um, you know, where we are pointing to other issues that are similar or have been similar over the last uh, decade or so, I, I think this one actually may be a little bit different. I mean, only, I mean, fewer than 10% of Americans say that marijuana should not be legal at all. And I think there's a pretty significant push and I think it got a good amount of traction uh, with the medical use uh, for marijuana. So yes, I, I mean, I can see somewhat of a backlash, but again, I, I think the legality of it, uh, the kind of the thumbs up or the thumbs down on it overall, uh, is going to be, is going to be a tough, is going to be a tough thing to turn, to turn back. But I think it's like same-sex marriage in some ways is that same-sex marriage, uh, became that we saw this in giant slide and or movement in public opinion over a very short period of time as people came out of the closet. And it's much harder to say, I don't think anybody should get married when you know people in your own family that are gay. And I think this is a generational thing on marijuana. It's, it's like most of these people that are under the age of, I don't know, 70 at this point have used it and know uh, at least most of them probably know that it's not really any significantly different than alcohol, for instance, in its ability to affect you uh, negatively, which is not to say that you should get behind the wheel and drive in either case, or, or there aren't dangers for children and things like that. But I think there's a reality that the generation, that the people, basically everybody under, say, 70, has some experience with it, probably is one of those things that becomes a, a generational tipping point, much in the same way that same-sex marriage, the tipping point came from people knowing people who were gay. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say before we turn to the fun, fun fact today, I'll say uh, I was in, uh, I, I was after all in college in the 60s, but as uh, 
people around me know I spent most of it in the library and uh, missed on a lot of what you're talking about, Jay. So sometime you may want to explain some things to me when we're not on, on air. Anyway. We'll do that as a subscriber-only podcast. Like, that. <laughs> Fair enough. So the fun fact here, which is called Lee's fun fact, is actually we're going to try something a little different today uh, because it's an issue that I, you know, I just don't feel all that strongly about. And we do have uh, a familiar person to you uh, who's going to join because this is this is an area of expertise. So Mary Griffith, our executive producer and co 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 anchor, uh, will uh, will join us. And um, Mary, what is the fun fact today that you're so excited about? Well, the fun fact this week is if you could have one, if you could have one of the following cartoon characters for a household pet, which one would you choose? Um, so I give this some thought, probably more thought than it warrants, but uh, let me go through some of the the, um, the options that were provided. So um, Snoopy was the lead with 24%, followed by Garfield at 16%, I believe. Um, Bugs Bunny at 11, Mickey Mouse at 7, Donald Duck at 4, and Heathcliff at 3%. Uh, 22% chose none, um, and 11% chose someone, uh, some other character. Okay, so going through these. Garfield would just cost way too much money in lasagna alone. You know, he's, he's, he's the fat cat who loves to eat, you know, lasagna. Uh, Mickey Mouse, way too happy all the time. You know, there's only so much cheeriness that I can take. Donald Duck has a bit of a temper and I get enough attitude from my kids. So we're going to forget that right off the bat. Heathcliff, I couldn't remember too much about. So, you know, I don't want to take any chances on that. And Bugs Bunny, I would, I love, but, you know, answering what's up, Doc? How many times can you do that in a day? Now, Snoopy is an interesting one because for the sheer fact of his imaginary battles with the Red Baron. So I think I'd have to go along with the plurality because I'd want to be a part of his, his, his escapades, even if they are imaginary. So again, way too much thought on this fun fact, but um, there it is. Not only that, I mean, Snoopy is a writer, so you guys would have so much in common. <laughs> very true. Very true. I'm surprised they left the tap. They left the Tasmanian devil off of this. That's what surprised me. <laughs> Although anybody with anybody with kids already has a Tasmanian devil. So, yeah. And Wiley, wasn't it Wiley Coyote? Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner? Oh, they'd be fun around the house. <laughs> How would that go with your pups and your horses, Barb? <laughs> well, you know, actually, I was kind of reflecting back on... Uh, my, one of my favorites as a kid, and, and that was actually Dino, who was the pet dinosaur in the Flintstones. And I, I really liked Dino. He had he had a great sense of humor. He was happy, but, you know, he could keep to himself, too. So uh, so I was sorry that Dino didn't didn't make the, uh, the the list. But you would go for a pet dinosaur right now. And... Oh, I oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would be kind of cool in the neighborhood. I could just see me walking that, you know, down the block. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing here. Um, I would go with Snoopy because I think Snoopy's a dog. I like dogs. And you like beagles. You like beagles. I like I beagles. Is that, is that also? Okay, there. So I would go with Snoopy. I'm wondering that where the current, if this poll, uh, which was done in 1989, I wonder if the current controversy over Disney World would uh, have, you know, run up the negatives on Mickey Mouse right now. I don't know.
That'll do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. The Poll Hub team includes Ashley Marcinick, Athen Hollis, and Emily Fry. If you enjoy Poll Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Marist Poll Academy our free online learning portal. If you have questions for us, tweet them directly to at Marist Poll. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Poll Hub, and with any luck, it will cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it, and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcasting app as soon as we release it. We'll see you next time.